brilliant. Thanks so much, uh, Chris. Um, really good to see you, and uh, great to have you here with us this morning. Um, if you've got a Bible, keep that open in front of you. And there we go. Look at that. Let me pray as we come to God's Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy that it is to be gathered as your people, coming around your Word. Thank you that it is your desire to fill our cup so that it overflows that you long to have us in your presence. And so here we are, Lord, in your presence. And we ask that you would come to us, speak to us, strengthen us, grow in us a greater love for you and a greater love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is uh, more to life than just staying alive. That there is more to life than just staying alive. I guess, uh, I guess we'd agree with that, wouldn't we? Being human means we don't just want to survive life, we want to thrive in life as well. So, so life isn't just about avoiding death. No, we'd say that, that, that life is about flourishing. So it's another reason why the, the pandemic has been so hard, isn't it? Because it, over the, those 18 months, it was so much about survival, survival, survival. And yet we feel we were made for more than just survival. It's what most of the great thinkers throughout history have debated, not just how do you survive life, but what is the good life? What does it mean to flourish as a human being? In our culture, it is no different. So when I say the words human flourishing, what images or ideas come into your head? What do you think of when you think of someone who is flourishing in life? It's like it's going to be a variety of things, aren't there? But, but maybe they are, they are happy in themselves. Maybe someone who's able to pursue their dreams and their ambitions. Maybe someone who is secure in their sense of identity or, or purpose. Maybe someone who is surrounded by people who, who love them, people who like them. Well, look, in John 15, Jesus says he wants us to flourish. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Why, why does the Father prune those branches? What is the purpose for our lives? So that we'll be even more fruitful. He wants us to live lives that are fruitful, lives that are flourishing. I guess we need to think, what does he mean by that? So first of all, the fruitful life is fueled by Jesus. Back in chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus makes another outrageous statement. Just read it, about himself. He says, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. That's an outrageous statement to people who heard it then. And as we understand what he means, it's outrageous to us as well. You see, in the Bible, the vine is an important image that kind of weaves its way through the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the picture God uses to describe his people. They are the vine or the vineyard. That means if you want to become part of God's people, you have to be connected to Israel. You have to become a Jew. But, but time and time again... God's people, Israel, failed to display the fruit that God was looking for. They, they failed to grow in peace 
and justice and kindness and so on. And now Jesus therefore stands up and says, well, I am the true vine. I am the true people of God. So, so do you see how outrageous that would have sounded to those original hearers, the people of Israel? If you want to be part of God's people, don't connect yourselves to Israel. Connect yourselves to me. I am the vine. But there is another aspect to this image. Something that, that, that makes it outrageous to us. When Jesus says you need to be connected to me, he isn't just saying you need to be identified with me. You know, as if you wear a badge that says, I'm with Jesus. The, the vine image runs so much deeper than that. Jesus is saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. That means whether you live or die, whether your life is fruitful and flourishing or empty and dead, depends on whether you stay connected with me. Have a look at verse 2 to 4. The Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Do you see the contrasts? Those who don't remain connected to Jesus, they wither and they die. They are like the branches that are removed and taken away to be burned. Those who do remain in Jesus, on the other hand, they are fruitful and flourish. And so Jesus is saying, key to the fruitful life, key to a life of flourishing, is Jesus himself. Remaining in Jesus. And that idea of remaining in Jesus is all the way through this passage, isn't it? Remain in me, Jesus keeps saying. It's there in verse 4 and in verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 9. Multiple times, remain in me, Jesus says. Stay connected, united to me, and then you will live a fruitful life. And again, remember, visualise in your mind what a vine is. Remember that image. When Jesus talks about remaining in him, he means something more than just being associated with him. If there was a vine branch that was just associated with the vine, maybe it was kind of nailed on or something, then it would wither and die. If we are just associated with Jesus, maybe we turn up to church on a Sunday, maybe we're even willing to say, I am a Christian. But if that is the depth of our connection, then we will wither. Remaining in Jesus is about being united to Jesus like a vine branch is united with the vine. Just as the vine provides sustenance and vitality to every branch, so Jesus must provide sustenance and vitality to every Christian. He's the vine and we are the branches. Our souls must be tapped into Christ. Our souls must be fed and fueled by Christ. 
what does it actually mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, remain in me? What, what does that look like? What does it feel like? Well, the language of remain or abide, it, it's covenantal language, it's relational language. So in the Old Testament, when God made a covenant with his people, he promised that he would be their God and that they would be his people. He promised them that he would dwell or remain or abide with them and they would dwell, remain and abide with him. So when Jesus says, remain in me, abide in me, he's talking about relationship. He's talking about love. Have a look at verse 9. It's, it's, it, the way that this is written means that we do jump around a bit. We're not just going to go through verse by verse. But have a look down at verse 9. You'll see how Jesus develops the image. He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Let's take it a step further. To remain in Jesus is to remain or abide in his love. Because that means we marinate our souls in Jesus' love. We fill our hearts with an awareness of his love for us. And this is absolutely a subjective thing. So, so the greatest joy for any Christian is to know and feel that Jesus loves them. But Jesus' love that he talks about here is also an objective thing. I can see it and know it even when I don't feel it. How? Well, because of the cross. Look where Jesus goes next with this idea of love. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus has in mind his imminent death that he is about to face and that for him is the picture of love. I can know objectively, whatever day of the week, whatever my circumstances, I can know objectively that Jesus loves me, not just because I feel it, but because there was a moment in history when he demonstrated it and declared it to be true, when he gave his life for me. This is someone married, I, I know subjectively that my wife uh, loves me, I, I, can, I can feel it. But, but even if I, I'm apart from Laura, I, I can look at my ring and, and know objectively that she loves me. That's, that's the purpose of these rings. That this ring reminds me of a moment in history when she gave herself to me, when she publicly declared her love for me. So it is with Jesus and the cross, a moment in history when he publicly declared and demonstrated his love for us. Remain in his love, subjectively feel it, tell your soul it is true, he loves me. Objectively know it, look at the cross. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Remain in my love, dwell in my love, abide in my love. And if Jesus' love is feeding our souls, if it is coursing through the veins of our hearts, then that is going to shape the way we live. 
Jesus says if we remain in him, we will bear fruit. It will change the way we live. And it's there throughout this section, the idea of being fruitful, but but just see in verse 5 very clearly. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He says it's inevitable. If we are in him, we will bear fruit. Our lives will flourish. But I guess here's the question you want to think about. What is that fruit? What does the flourishing life that is fueled by remaining in Jesus, what does it look like? Well, Jesus shows us something of what it means in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. The fruitful life, the flourishing life according to Jesus, is a life of sacrificial love. The love of Jesus that courses through our hearts, like the the life-giving sap of the vine that courses through the, the, the branches on the tree, is the love that in turn shapes our hearts. If we remain in Jesus' love, then we will love like Jesus. We once did a, um, an experiment, a science experiment in school. At least I think, I, I don't know if have a problem, I can barely remember anything that happened beyond the 16 really. But, but I think, I have some vague memory that we did this thing in science. And, and we got some flowers, and we, we took the stem, we cut the flowers, and we got the kind of cut flowers and we put them in a, in a vase or something. It wasn't a vase, it was a boys' school. No boys' school has vases knocking around, do they? Probably a, a beaker or a cup or something. And we filled this beaker with blue dyed water. And we left the flower for a week or so. And when we came back to look, well, the, pe- the petals on the flower ha- had absorbed the blue dye. They-, they turned blue, like the water they were in. If we are marinating in the love of Christ, dwelling in Christ and his love, then his love will colour our love. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. And so the fruitful life, the flourishing life, Jesus says it is a life of love. And the thing with Jesus' love is that it is profoundly self-giving. He gave us his life. But when he was beaten and, and tortured and nailed to the cross, he gave us his body. When he was pierced for our transgressions, he gave us his blood. When he gasped his last words, it is finished, I have won salvation for you, he gave us his breath. He gave us his place in the family of God, he gave us his righteousness, and on we could go. And so of course, if that is the well that our souls are tapped into, then the love that we show to others must be profoundly self-giving. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
It doesn't get more self-giving than that, does it? So here we go, bring this together. The fruitful life is fueled by Jesus. He is the vine, we are the branches. His life is the sap that runs through us and gives us life. And the fruitful life that Jesus brings to us is a life of self-giving love. And when you put all that together, don't you see that Jesus' vision of a flourishing life is quite different to the world's vision of a flourishing life? If Jesus' way is about selflessness and self-giving, the emphasis on the world is much more about self-love and self-orientated actions. It struck me this week, two, two new news articles kind of came my way. First, um, you might have heard about this, the singer Adele has just released her new album, and partly it's about her, her split from her husband. She, she wants to help her son understand why she and her husband divorced. And in an interview, she talked about why they split up. And she was incredibly honest. She said they divorced because the marriage was not making her happy. It wasn't allowing her to express her true self. She divorced in order to be kind to herself. In the same week, Mark J. Francis, who is a documentary maker, he wrote about his recent divorce from his wife, and he said something almost identical to Adele. He said, I began to question everything. And one of those questions was, am I really happy in my marriage? And am I living the kind of life I want to live? Am I being true to myself? He also divorced her in order to be kind to himself. Now, I don't want to be all judgy about Adele and Mark Francis. I'm sure there is much more going on than what they have shared. But the, the, the response has been what's so interesting, because the response has been so positive. You've done the right thing. This is the good life. Be kind to yourself. I think there is such a big contrast here between Jesus' vision of human flourishing and the world's. The kind of love the world is tapping into is self-love. And if that is coursing through the veins of our soul, then what kind of fruit does it produce? It means we will sacrifice others to ensure our happiness. But the kind of love that Jesus wants us to tap into is his love, a love that is selfless. And if that kind of love is coursing through the veins of our souls, then what kind of fruit does it lead to? We will sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. Two very different visions for humanity. Which vision captures your heart? Which vision do you want to be part of? What kind of love is your soul tapping into? Is it self-love? Because that will produce a certain kind of fruit. Or is it Christ's love? Remain in my love, says Jesus. Then you will flourish. Then you will produce the fruit of selfless love. Remain in my life. Jesus then is the one who fuels a flourishing life 
But what is it? How do we do it? How, how do we remain in the love of Jesus? Well, much more briefly, that's our second point. The fruitful life must remain in Jesus. Now, we, we need to be clear about what Jesus is saying in these words. That this chapter is not about just another lifestyle choice option. You, know, you want to flourish, well, you, you, you could try mindfulness, you could try a new diet, or you could try Jesus. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is so much more serious than that. It, it isn't a lifestyle choice. It is a choice between life and death. Remember what Jesus says back in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Remain in me and you will live. If you don't, you will die. But we must remain in Jesus, not just because we like the kind of life he calls us to. No, we must remain in him so that we can live. If you don't, you'll be gathered up and taken away. And there is a warning, therefore, that we need to hear. Remain in me, says Jesus. Don't give up. Don't become like one of those branches that is thrown away. But we do need to couple that with the promises that Jesus makes elsewhere in John's Gospel. That the warning of not falling away, but also with the promises that he makes. Uh, two, two will come up on the screen. He says in John 6, verse 39, I shall lose none of all those the Father has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Or he says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. You see the promise that we need to have in our minds as well, that Jesus will hold on to us. And that means we, therefore, will hold on to him. If we are truly united to Christ, well then we won't give up on Jesus. He will hold on to us. But he uses different means, different ways on which to hold on to us, by which to hold on to us. One way he holds on to us is by causing us to hear and believe warnings like verse 6. Bear fruit or you will be broken off. Remain in me or you will be taken away. We need to listen to those warnings and respond rightly. But there are two other ways in this passage that Jesus and the Father hold on to us so that we will continue to hold on to him. First, he uses his word. So have a look at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. If we want to remain connected to Jesus, united to him, abiding and dwelling with him, how will we do that when we can't see him? How will we do that when he's not visibly here with us? Well, by his words. By the scriptures. 
that if Jesus' words remain in us and abide in us, then Jesus himself will remain in us and abide in us. So let the word of Christ dwell in you, remain in you, abide in you. And there are lots of ways we can do that, aren't there? I think first and foremost it's this, Sunday by Sunday. As we sit with our brothers and sisters and we listen to the words of Christ preached to us, or as we sing Christ's words, or as we pray Christ's words, or as we kind of observe Christ's words when we share communion together. And then we've got our own Bibles, the words of Christ in our own hands. What an opportunity we have to let the word of Christ dwell in us, to pick up the Bible each day and read it. I know that sometimes we don't feel like it. I know that sometimes there are are many pressures on our lives and I can't say to you, you must read the Bible 15 minutes every day. But we should be drinking from God's word regularly and often. I read something about long distance running this week. Um, To be honest, I hate running. Uh, Most of it I've done about 5k. Uh, It's not my thing. So what I'm about to say may not be true at all. But, but it's, it, it works for, for the sermon. Apparently, when you go on a long run, James, you will know about this, whether this is true or not, but apparently when you go on a long run, marathon length, if it's organised, they'll, they'll have these kind of drink stations dotted around the place where you can grab something to drink. And the guy was saying, apparently the thing to do is not to wait until you feel thirsty before you pick up a drink, but, but to drink little and often. If you're feeling thirsty, then you're, you're already getting dehydrated. You've gone beyond where you should be. Now, I don't know if it's true or whether it's even good advice. And I say, I'm not that worried because I'm never going to do it. But it's good advice for reading the Bible. Keep going, little and often. Sunday by Sunday, day by day. It may not always feel deep, satisfying and thirst-quenching. But it will be doing your soul untold good. Jesus will be abiding with you more deeply. So first, Jesus gives us his words that we can continue to remain in him. Second, he gives us prayer. That's also there in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says something very similar in verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. What an incredible offer Jesus is making here. What an incredible gift. And obviously Jesus isn't saying, you know, you want a holiday, ask for one and you'll get it, or you need a new car, or want a new car, or a, a healthy body, or a different spouse, ask for one and you'll get it. That's not what Jesus is promising. No, he says, if my words remain in you, Ask for whatever you want. If my desires, my ambitions, my morality, my outlook on the world fills your heart, then ask for whatever you want. Because what you want will be what I want. And what does Jesus want? Well, it's there all the way through the passage, isn't it? He wants us to remain in him. 
So we pray, Lord, Father, please, may I never walk away from Christ. May my heart never go cold towards you. Please hold on to me that I might always hold on to you. That is the kind of prayer that Jesus will answer. You could add some other things. What else does Jesus want from this passage? He wants us to bear fruit. Father, please help my life be filled with the fruit of Christ-like love. May I display the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Please may my life, what I say and how I live, bear fruit for eternity, that others might be drawn to Christ as well. That is the kind of prayer the Lord Jesus will answer. You see, when our hearts are aligned with his, when our souls are tapped into the love of Christ, when his word remains in us, then Jesus will give us what we ask for. He will give us the strength to keep holding on to him. So if I am going to remain in Christ, I need to be praying. The Christian life isn't that complicated really, but neither is it easy. It's about word and prayer, and if you remain in Jesus through his words and through prayer, then you will flourish. Not in the way the world might think about flourishing, but in the best way. Your heart will be filled with the love of Christ. Your soul will be revived and refreshed daily. Your ambition will be to give yourselves to others and you will find comfort and hope and joy in knowing that Jesus is your Saviour and he is with you always and everywhere. That is what it means to flourish. Jesus is the fuel for the fruitful life. And we must remain in him. Let me quiet. Let me pray. I am the true vine. Heavenly Father, we pray so much that we would see Jesus for who he is, the one who gives life, the one who should shape our lives. We confess that very often, Lord, we do tap into the wrong kind of love, to the wrong kind of life, and our souls are misshaped because of it. Please, this week, help us to remain firmly and deeply and joyfully in Christ and his love. Please may his words dwell in us richly. May we take the opportunities we have to meditate on his words, to think about them, to believe them deeply. And we pray that we would be more prayerful, that we would pray the kind of things you want us to pray, and that we would see you answer.